Welcome to Brookstone's Be The One podcast. I'm your host, Avery Wolf, and today we have a special episode for you, the audio from our Positive Masculinity panel held last month for our teenage boys. The title of the panel was Positive Masculinity in Action, Fostering Conversations About Character, Healthy Relationships, and Respect. Over the course of the evening, the panel discussed such topics as what is positive masculinity? How do we equip our boys to contribute to society in meaningful and positive ways? And what are the tools for fostering healthy relationships? So join us to hear this amazing group of men, all of whom are Brookstone teachers, parents, and coaches, share their wisdom to the younger generation. You'll hear from Henry Heil, Phil Farmer, Jeff Jones, Matt Lage, Nate McConnell, Gary Sullivan, Colonel Brian Wiley, and Jacob Crowder. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Welcome to our first Brookstone Positive Masculinity panel. Um, we're really excited to have everybody out here. Uh, this is a, a really special night, I think, uh, as we have an opportunity to celebrate our boys, to celebrate Brookstone students, uh, our male students at this school. I wanted to talk with you just a little bit about where this, the idea for this program came from, and then I want to introduce our panelists, and then I want to honor everybody's time and, and jump right into our, our questions for them. I think this will be a really valuable opportunity for us to look at how we can lean into our Brookstone core values uh, and support our male students in a very, very fast-changing environment and world. Uh, first, I want to just kind of, uh, if you don't know me, I'm Jacob Crowder. I'm the Director of Student Counseling here at the school. Uh, I feel like I know uh, the vast majority of you, and I'm pretty sure most of you know everybody on this panel, but we'll still introduce everybody. Uh, the idea behind this panel was uh, a thought of mine around representation. I feel like that I wanted to put in front of our male students, you guys sitting there, I wanted to put in front of you some males that you know in this community that are working hard to hold the standard of what it means to be a good person and what it means to be a positive male in today's society. I feel like that you have an infinite source of bad examples, negative decision-making, and poor choices from males in the media. I feel like that you're hearing lots and lots of different verbiage around what that means to be a good person, to be a positive uh, impact maker in your community, and we wanted you to hear from the people that you spend the most time with. These individuals right here that you see on our campus, We've got some community members that you guys are pretty familiar with as well, and we wanted you to be able to hear from those individuals about what that standard actually looks like. You're going to hear tonight some questions. There's some um, programs going around that do have the questions, an abbreviated version of the questions that we'll be asking tonight. Um, you might look at these questions, and you might see that a lot of these questions are applicable to most human beings, and we agree with that. We think that these questions that we're going to be talking about, these Brookstone core values that we represent at our school are values that we should all aspire to have in our life. But we feel like it's that much more important that our male students, our boys, our young men, hear from other men in their community that agree and aspire to these values. We think that that's important. And we want those boys, we want you guys tonight to be able to hear from those individuals about what that looks like, okay? So I don't want to waste a lot more time. I want to jump right into our panel. I want to uh, take a minute. We're just going to go down the line. I'm going to ask these guys to introduce themselves and just tell very briefly what they do, uh, and then we'll kind of jump right in. So we'll just start right here. Good evening. My name is Coach Philip Farmer. I'm the strength training coach and assistant football and assistant wrestling coach. 
Hey, everybody, good evening. My name is Ryan Wiley. I'm a 25-year Army uh, professional and uh, serve at Fort Moore. Evening, Gary Sullivan, head of upper school. Hey, everyone, Henry Heil, head of school. Hey, I'm Matt Lage. I'm the assistant head of upper school, and I also coach cross-country and teach in the social studies department. Hey, I'm Jeff Jones. Uh, I'm a regional director with Young Life over Georgia and Alabama. I'm a Young Life leader here at Brookstone and uh, the chaplain of the football team. Hey there, uh, Nate McConnell, middle school dean of students, uh, also baseball coach, softball coach, uh, and uh, middle school PE teacher. All right, thank you, gentlemen. And so we're going to kind of jump right in tonight. The first question that anyone seeing our advertisement should have asked us, well, what, what do you mean when you say positive masculinity? What, is, what does that mean? So we need to take a moment to kind of define what positive masculinity looks like. So I want to ask the panel, in the context of positive masculinity in action, what does healthy masculinity mean to you? And how does it align with Brookstone's core values of respect, leadership, honor, loyalty, service, courage, and wisdom? And then while you're at it, what are the myths of masculinity? What are the things that just aren't true? So let's just kind of go down the line. If you guys will just give sort of your brief take on what, it, what positive masculinity means to you and how does that align with what we're doing here at Brookstone? Uh, well, I, I think probably, can I start off with a myth? However, yeah, sure. I think when, when you think of that word, you think of uh, somebody that's tough, somebody that's strong, somebody that doesn't really need help, uh, somebody that doesn't share uh, their, their feelings, their emotions, um, somebody that has their stuff together all the time, 100% of the time. And, uh, and that's not the case. I mean, I think, I think being a man and being a masculine man and being a healthy masculine man means, you know, <clears throat> being able to, to know when you need help and when you need to talk with somebody. Um, it's also somebody that you don't have to be, you know, the strongest person in the room all the time. Uh, you can be open-minded. You need to be approachable to people. Uh, and you need to be able to, to know when to listen and, uh, and, serve, and serve your community, serve your school, serve your family. And uh, to me, it's just being an overall good person that I feel like anyone can come up to and have a really good conversation with without feeling intimidated. Thank you. Um, I, uh, so as a, as a person who's in full-time ministry here, I, I, I want to, first address it. I, I will bring certainly a biblical perspective in because that is, um, that's, that's kind of the defining lens through which I view life. But I also don't want to use the Bible as a, a self-proving document and say that, you know, just because the Bible says so. It's enough for me, but it, I, I realize that might not be enough for everyone sitting in this room. Um, I think right off the bat, I, I think uh, I look at... Um, the person of Jesus, who was, by all accounts, in, in the scriptural Jesus, a, a masculine man, that he lived a life and demonstrated masculinity uh, in a way that was, um, that was admirable and, I think, as a man, desirable to sort of emulate. Uh, but his brand of masculinity was defined by 
uh, love and kindness. It was caring for the poor and the marginalized and people that couldn't fight for themselves. He was a man who, in a time when women were second-class citizens, he elevated women and empowered them and brought them into what he was doing and gave them a voice. And ultimately, through his very self-sacrifice, I think, uh, was the ultimate demonstration of masculinity that, that was represented in his life. But uh, I think that those characteristics have held true throughout the ages. Even the Brookstone uh, core values look very similar to, like if you look up the old code of chivalry of, of the knights from medieval times, uh, that those, that self-sacrifice and protecting the innocent and fighting for what's right are the sort of characteristics of masculinity um, that I think are the ones that are elevated for me. Um, I would echo a lot of what uh, Jeff said, uh, especially about that 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 self sacrifice, uh, sacrificing for others. I think uh, a myth of masculinity sometimes, is, or you, you think of like the tough guy, right? The guy who uh, doesn't need any help, as Nate was saying, never shows any emotion, um, is going to go out and you know. I mean, you can you can think of lots of myths, right? Like the old kind of like John Wayne um, sort of man. And nobody knows. <laughs> that was for the parents. That was for the parents. Um, he was a John Wayne was before my time too, and I still know who he is. Um, but I think there are, um, you know, and then you know other other myths to address that. Before I think uh, is as far as like the the myth of like a, a, a guy who can, um, you know, who's, who's selfish. A lot of the myths revolve around being selfish, right? Like a guy who's, uh, who's going to go get as many girls as possible, right? Like he's manly, right? That guy is the man that you want to emulate, right? And, and I think uh, that, that's, that's, that can be a, a, a toxic form of it that you see inside, but ultimately sacrifice is... The man, I think of healthy masculinity, I think of the guy who can come through. Um, you know, when, when, when you're in a, and, and, and I think that's why someone like John Wayne, even though like not, uh, you know, whatever, that movie character, why people still like aspects of that because, uh, you know, the idea of coming through uh, in the clutch, like when, when you're in a crisis situation, when, when difficult things are happening, when someone... Uh, need someone to to step in the gap, um, a man to stand up and sacrifice for others and be of service for others and do that. Um, I I don't know. That's that's the type of ha healthy masculinity that comes to my mind when I think of healthy masculinity. Someone who uh, is going to put it on the line and who's going to come through um, in in those tough moments. <clears throat> Uh, making a joke at your college expense in front of a crowd of 130 people, not healthy masculinity. <laughs> that's, that's an example of it. <laughs> <clears throat> Thanks, Mr. Sullivan, for that. Uh, I, I would just say um, <laughs> that uh, I think, regardless of what masculinity is not, um, what I think it is uh, is authenticity. Um, and, and 
are you comfortable in your own skin? Um, you know, do, do you know who you are? Um, I learned that uh, going to an all-boys summer camp. Um, I learned that it was okay not to just be uh, the best athlete. It was okay to be, uh, be who I needed to be in life. And, uh, and there's ways that, that you can all do that. Um, it doesn't have to be an all-boys summer camp, but there are, there are ways that you can figure that out and, and places you can put yourself in uh, to have the ability uh, to figure out who you are and, and be your authentic self. I think that, in my mind, is what healthy masculinity is. I think having a group of friends that you can have some fun with is key. Um, <laughs> so I, I think masculinity in general. So one of the reasons I think Mr. Crowder put this together, which I think is fantastic, and by the way, fantastic turnout. So kudos to students and parents. Um, as it relates to our core values, respect is probably one of the, the key words to me that, that, that come to mind with, with masculinity, positive masculinity. I think the, the media has, has hijacked the word masculinity um, for our young men not really knowing what that means anymore, right? Um, sure, there are, there are lots of toxic actions that, that you know, men would take part in that, that lead to that toxic masculinity label. When I think of respect, um, I talked to the young men about this at school. You know, we had the assembly the other day about, and it wasn't just about tying a tie and, or tying a bow tie. Um, it was about certain things, that taking pride in yourself, taking pride in the, in the way you look, taking pride in having respect for yourself, um, because no one's going to have respect for you unless you respect, for, uh, unless you respect yourself, number one. Number two, you know, Henry used the word chivalry a minute ago, and, and I think, I'd like to think it's not, chivalry is not dead. Um, you know, I want our young men to open the doors for the ladies, to open the doors for their moms when they get home, help them take their grocery bags out of the car, and not because they cannot do it. Um, that's by no means is that, is that the, the reason we do it. Um, my wife's sitting here, and I know for a fact that she can take me down, and she'll, she'll say that. I've got to say that too. Young men, you'll learn as you uh, get older and you get married that you've got to make sure that you know who wears the pants and it's not you. Um, but when it comes to respect, I think it's really crucial for our young men to understand their role in society. Um, and that role is going to look different based on, on where you grow up, based on the cultures that you're in. But, but it's okay to, it's okay to, to identify um, as a leader in society, as a leader of your household, um, in a position of strength. And, and I'm not talking physical strength, like they mentioned, um, but, but strength in morals, strength in, in, in helping other people out. We'll talk about this later on with some of these questions about how to go about doing that um, when you're seeing, at the most basic form, people being picked on, how do you, how do you respond? What's your, what's your duty in that? Uh, and that's male or female. Um, you know, and, and when it comes to certain things, I, I tend to hold males to a different standard, not a higher standard, but a different one when it comes to certain things. So for me, respect uh, is probably the one core value, um, if I had to choose one, that, that really comes to, to mind with uh, positive masculinity. And we'll touch on this as we go further on. Well, I first want to just start by saying um, it's truly a privilege to be part of this discussion tonight. And uh, uh, so thanks, Mr. Crowder, for the invite as the uh, community, uh, one of the community reps on the panel. <clears throat> and he did tell me that I get to select my replacement for the next panel. So I'm kind of looking out in the audience on who I'm going to uh, give the, give the uh, honor and privilege of next time. But, um, you know, so I am going to use a movie analogy also um, just to 
tell you kind of where I'm coming at from this discussion. And so um, stay with me here, but Karate Kid. And I'm talking about the 1980s version of Karate Kid. For all the young folks, have you seen that? Cobra Kai. So not, I'm not talking about the most recent one, uh, you know, Cobra Kai. I'm talking about uh, Mr. Miyagi and then the uh, um, sensei from, uh, yeah, and, but then the sensei from Cobra Kai. Um, and, you, and in my mind, I look at those two guys and I see um, two very contrasting views of what, you know, we might think about uh, masculinity. That's like one of my top five top five movies, and uh, you, can, you can live life through, uh, you learn a lot about life through that, uh, through that movie, but I, what, what I, as I got a chance to reflect on this, what I thought about was, and a lot of the panelists have already mentioned, um, there seems to me, and as I have gone through life, um, there's this contradiction that I had to kind of deal with, and, you know, we've mentioned a lot of sort of the positive attributes of masculinity that's sort of the more traditional, and I, I wrote those down, strong, courageous, bold, tough, confident, protector, honorable. Those are kind of in the easy category. Um, um, the ones that we all know we don't want to be, merciless, prideful, destructive, brutal, reckless, unapologetic. You know, that's, that's the uh, sensei from Cobra Kai. That's what we learn about him and how destructive that is to the young men he was, he was coaching at the time. But here's some of the ones I've struggled with, and it's taken me a little while, it's, you know, um, and I'll talk a little bit about my own profession, but um, vulnerable. Oh, that's a tough word, you know? I, I have uh, struggled to come to terms with that because um, I'll tell you, that's not the picture of masculinity I had growing up, that you would be vulnerable. Um, caring, loving, forgiving, um, and what, what I've come to find out um, is that those are the um, essential elements of uh, what true masculinity looks like. And I've spent about um, 25 years, I told you, in the Army, but all of those years have been in uh, close combat units with a uh, vast majority young men, young soldiers um, in training and combat. And I'll, I'll tell you, what I learned through that was when you don't have that second column that I mentioned, um, you're, you're brittle, you're less resilient. And I learned that over time. Um, you don't have as healthy of relationships. And most important in my profession, you're not as effective of a leader. And uh, um, so, you know, it, you kind of have to hold those two ideas in your head. Um, and sometimes it may feel incompatible, but they're absolutely not. They're, they're one and the same to, uh, um, I think, really have the, uh, the whole picture. Um, I think, you know, the thing about answering a question last after everybody have went, they all take your answers. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I'll be brief. Um, I, I honestly think that uh, masculinity uh, is meant to define what our roles and behaviors are mm. on this earth. Um, you know, society and historically masculinity has been defined as, you know, being tough, being bold, being strong, you know, being hunters and gatherers. But for me, simply, I think, uh, one, if you're accountable, two, if you're dependable, and three, if you're responsible. Those are the simple and the main things that I believe that makes a person masculine. Uh, once you start to develop your emotions and, and you develop physically and emotionally, that's what masculinity is for me. Thank you. And I don't intend to, to chime in too much with them. I really want to, we have a wealth of knowledge up here on the panel, but I think as just in my life and as a, as a counselor, I tend to think about uh, something that Ryan was talking about. One of those traits 
the men that I admire most in life uh, are strongest in their ability to give mercy and forgiveness. I think it is one of the one of the hardest characteristics for a man to master is the ability to be comfortable enough in himself to give someone a pass, to give someone a second chance, to look beyond his own pride. And I think that, that any great man that I've ever aspired to be like has been a champion of what that looks like, of being able to look beyond his own selfish desires and needs and to be able to give forgiveness and mercy and kindness. And I think that that's a, a huge trait when I think about you know, what positive masculinity means to me. Uh, I want to jump right back in with the, with the panelists. Um, we kind of went, went down the road. We're going to popcorn it a little bit more now and let everybody kind of chime in where they feel uh, led to chime in. Uh, so we talked, you heard a little, you've heard them just now talk a lot about sacrifice. So let's just kind of lead right into that. So can you share, share some insights on the importance of hard work and sacrifice as key elements of developing strong character and leadership skills? Uh, thinking about leadership, what are the challenges to great leadership? I'll take that. Um, <clears throat> I think one, uh, to be an effective leader, you have to step outside of your comfort zone. Um, and, and I think the best leaders understand that once you step outside of your comfort zone, you know, a lot of productivity, a lot of important things start to happen. So, and, and it gets lonely being a leader uh, because you have to make certain decisions uh, that affect personal relationships. But if you, if you keep in mind the goal and the mission of the team, uh, I think it'll be better for you as a leader. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's probably the biggest challenge is, uh, you know, and I'm just, I kind of look at it back when I was an athlete, and, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that my, my father always told me is if you want to be good at anything, surround, your, surround yourself with good people and uh, surround yourself with people that have the same goals in mind that you do. And so when you go to the weight room, find the guy that's, that's working the hardest in the weight room. If you go to the ball field, find the guy that's staying late to work at the ball field on extra skills and do things that nobody else is doing when, when, uh, when people aren't watching. It's about what you're doing, all right, on a consistent basis that's going to make you what you are and whatever you want to be good at. And, uh, yeah, a challenge for me is uh, growing up with a lot of guys and that uh, I thought that were my friends, and, and they were my friends, but we just had different goals in mind. And uh, a sacrifice that I had to make was kind of cutting ties with some of those people that w didn't want to go the same direction that I wanted to go. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, hard work, sacrifice, I think, are, are definitely key elements to being a leader, but they are key elements that you have to have to get respect or to earn respect. And I don't think if you have respect, you'll ever be a great leader. Um, to, to go on to the hard work piece, you know, and I know we've got a, a room full of guys that just came from football practice, for instance. Um, and to quote the great philosopher Mike Tyson for a second, you know, discipline or hard work, really the discipline comes from using his words, and I'm paraphrasing, waking up at 5.30, doing something you really don't want to do, and, and sucking it up. Jim East, for those of you that, that know Dr. East that was here a couple of years ago, he had a saying in class, embrace the suck. Um, and, and, and really what that means is the, the hard work, you don't really know what you're capable of until you push yourself to a limit that you don't think you can reach. So on the football field, Coach Gillespie is going to push you to, to a place where, where you want to give up, you want to throw up, you want to, you want to quit, that's really where you find out what your limit is. 
uh, and what you are capable of. Um, I know in the army there's countless scenarios when they go through training um, where you feel like you're going to quit and it's just that next step. And, and all of those next steps, pushing through those next steps are really what develops your what I can do, what I'm capable of. Um, so my encouragement to you guys is, number one, put yourselves out of your comfort zone like Coach uh, McConnell said. Push yourselves in, in areas that, that you really are not comfortable in, that you feel like you are going to stretch uh, yourselves and your capabilities because you are going to need those. Um, and I also just want to make sure that you all understand every one of us up on the stage are a major work in progress. Um, we are by no means up here because we have mastered the art of, of anything in life. Um, we, we make daily mistakes uh, and, you know, and, and, and for us, for me at least, um, you know, Jacob mentioned, you know, having people or someone mentioned having people hold you accountable. Be okay with making mistakes. For me, that's a really tough thing is, is that when I make a mistake is, is, uh, not just forgiving others, like Mr. Crowder said, but forgiving myself um, and, and, and getting out of my own way to move forward. Um, and and that, that's a crucial piece, is, is getting into that piece, getting out of your comfort zone, working, pushing yourselves incredibly hard so that you can increase your capacity, increase what you are capable of doing, because you are going to face really difficult situations in life, whether it's family, corporate, work, sport, whatever it may be, and you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. You are going to have to figure out how to get through that and move on to that next step. I'll take a crack at the uh, second half of that question, just about challenge, challenges to effective leadership. And I want to tie this back into some of those um, attributes that I mentioned before that I think are sometimes hard um, for young men especially, and I know where personally it was hard for me, and I, and I appreciate uh, Mr. Sullivan's point about always a work in progress because that absolutely applies to me. But, you know, what I've found is one of the biggest challenges is uh, – building cohesive teams. It's really hard. And, uh, you know, all of you on the football team, you've probably experienced that. I'm looking out at the young men in the audience. You all have probably been on a team and you've maybe felt that. And I think that, you know, there are a couple ingredients to building cohesive teams. I think the um, most important ingredient is trust. And trust is the thing that is like the um, fabric that holds that cohesive team together. And, there's a lot of different ways to build trust, but, um, and you know, the, the outcome of that is just an incredible amount of confidence that a team has when they can trust each other. And one of the things that, uh, just an example I'll give you about what trust looks like in the, in the Army, especially in uh, small infantry units, um, we practice live firing and we live fire all of our weapons collectively, you know, that exist within a formation. And so a lot of times what that looks like is you will be uh, shooting what we call from a base of fire and you'll have a, a flanking element that is, you know, moving towards a simulated objective, but that uh, supporting element is putting uh, machine gun and rifle fire within, we call 15 degrees, which you measure it like this when you're standing there, um, 15 degrees, and that's the, the surface danger zone of that weapon system. And so you are moving right at 15 degrees across as the, as the uh, machine gun fire goes across the objective. And it's an incredible display of trust um, that exists on a small team, uh, you know, that, uh, that uh, you, know, you know, talk about trust in your coworkers. Um, but to get to that level of trust takes some attributes that I think are really important but fall into that second category that I talked about. Um, of course, it takes integrity, but it takes empathy, and it takes um, authenticity, and it takes humility. 
And those are actually, in my mind, the critical elements of leadership that are going to build trust in an organization. And sometimes I think we can mistakenly not see those as um, masculine qualities. And I, and I think that's a huge mistake. And, and just to, to build off a point somebody made, I think critical, though, to building uh, cohesive teams is doing hard things together. And so you do hard things together as a team, and you're, you're on your way. Sometimes we do really hard things, and we fail. Sometimes we, we have this great idea of what we're going to do, and we lose. And so what I want to ask you guys is, is let's think about failure and adversity. We're talking kind of about that, that doing hard things. It doesn't always end like the karate kid. You don't always kick Johnny in the face at the end and get the title. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes Johnny beats you up. So my question is, uh, for, the, for the panelists, is how can facing adversity and dealing with failure be a significant aspect of a journey toward developing into a responsible and resilient man? And what valuable life lessons can our male students draw from these experiences? What can we learn from our failures? Um, well, as a, as a huge failure, uh, I would say, um, I'm an expert to speak on this, I think 90% of anything that anyone thinks good of me is because of something I failed at and learned from and grew from. Um, you know, Winston Churchill said that success is just moving from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Uh, and I think that we live in a, I'm speaking to the guys right now, the, the teenage guys in here. Like, you live in a world where Failure is terrifying. Uh, it hasn't been permitted a ton. Also, you, you feel like any failure you have is going to potentially be made public. It's going to stay with you forever. You're never going to be able to brush that off of you. You will be labeled as whatever your big failure is for the rest of your life. It's just not true. But I understand why you would feel that way. Um, failure is a, is a gift that we get because most of our failures, most of our mistakes, most of the errors that we make are not final. They're just, they're, they're steps along the road to becoming this complete and whole man that, that we're designed to be. So don't run from failure. Give yourself a lot of grace when it happens. And then Moms and dads, to, to parents in here, I would say allow your kid the freedom to fail because you know that in your own life, your failures have molded you into the person that you are. And so don't rob your kids of that opportunity to learn and grow from failures. When they get, when they get a bad grade on a test or they get uh, cut from a sports team, uh, Maybe don't go and try to work behind the scenes to fix that for them. Allow them to sit in that. Allow them to learn and grow and develop and become uh, the next person. You know, the, the famous anecdote is Michael Jordan got put on JV basketball his 10th grade year. And he would say that it was one of the things that drove him to become the best uh, at, his, at his sport was that that perceived rejection that he felt at that time. Uh, again, uh, for the folks that biblical truth is, uh, is of value here, uh, the Bible says that suffering 
you know, that we, we, re, we rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings produce perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope in us. So don't run from failure. You're, you're, you're going to hear sort of the same things from all of us up here. I mean, I, I, think, I think we are all essentially saying the same thing. So one of the things that I'm, that's really awesome for me sitting here is to hear the articulation of each of this from each of these individuals up here. And it's just, I mean, right now, that Winston Churchill quote, I'm, I'm taking it with me. It's great stuff. So, so as, you, as you're sitting there listening to all the men up here, I hope something resonates with each one of you from something is, that is said. <clears throat> um, failure happens, and, I, and I'm, my, my answer to that question is really to, to tools, to offer two tools to overcome that. Um, one of the things that I think, uh, and, and Colonel Wiley uh, sh- shared this earlier, um, is uh, this idea of vulnerability. Um, and, and we have a difficult time in, as human beings, um, but particularly as males because of the, the cultural pressures that we face um, of doing two things. Uh, we have difficulty asking for help. And I don't mean like pulling off and asking the guy at the gas station how to get to Wendy's, but um, I'm talking about asking for help when we're really struggling. And, uh, and, and we, the messaging in our culture today is, hey, you, you, I mean, we've, I've heard it up here tonight, suck it up, you gotta deal with it, you gotta figure out a way past this. And, and as males, we hear that and we, we fear asking for help. Um, and, and I hope that uh, that's something that, that all of you out there um, can, can, over, can, can overcome and, and not be afraid to do, particularly when you're here on this campus. Um, I would say also that the second thing is apologizing. I know that, uh, that Mr. Crowder mentioned uh, forgiveness and mercy. Um, I think apologizing is a big part of that. And, and if you can learn, and I've, I think uh, we've, we've heard it uh, from Mr. Jones here that, that you know, some of the things he does the best are because he failed at them. Um, some of the best relationships I've built are because I've been willing to apologize genuinely for a mistake that was made, and that builds relationships and doesn't tear them down. It's hard. Apologies are hard to get right, uh, but if you can, that's a skill you can develop, and, and once that skill is developed, uh, it, it, it will really change the way in which you perceive uh, failure. Absolutely. Um, asking for key is help. Uh, I will spare you the long story, but uh, I always have been a, a guy that has always felt like if I can cover over my own mess, then I'll be okay, and I won't have to lean on anybody. And I, I famously have the story that I like to share with my psych kids about I fooled around way too much my sophomore year in college, a uh, very short story, and, and uh, went to the registrar, found out I was going to lose my scholarship. Uh, a student assistant, also sophomore in college, working in the registrar's office, convinced me that if I took a Maymester pottery class that I could save my scholarship. I didn't know that they were signing me up for a pottery class that was for third year ceramics majors, but they still put me in it. The teacher hated me and uh, put me through all kinds of paces to do it. It should have ended like a, like a Disney movie where I, I rose to the challenge and did all the things. And at the end of that experience, that professor sat me down and asked me what grade I deserved. And I said, I did everything that you asked of me. I think I deserve an A minus. I know I'm not an art student, but I did everything. And he said, he said, Jacob Crowder, why would I give you an A when I won't even give my own art students an A? And I lost my scholarship that semester. And the harder part was I went to my parents to let them know that. And my father, uh, with tears in his eyes, looked at me and said, we don't have any money for you. 
So you can go to trade school or you can figure a way to finance your own uh, college loans, which is what I ended up doing and taking a lot of extra jobs. Um, and I say that to say that I thought I could just cover over my own mistakes. I didn't ask for help. I asked a, another 19-year-old working in the registrar's office for a solution that just wasted my time. Um, and so we have to be willing, guys, I'm telling you, we have to be willing to ask for help. We have to be willing to accept that we're not perfect and that's okay. And so uh, just, a, just a little story to share with you. And, and everything worked out great. All is well. We're here. It's a joy. Hey, Mr. Um, Crowder, can I add one thing to that before you move on? Yeah. Um, I think one thing that's important when you're dealing with failure is having a short-term memory of it. Mm. Deal with it, learn from it, move past it, and don't dwell on it. Um, and, you know, you're going to fail more times probably, you know, than you succeed at a lot of things. But, you know, I, just one quick story that just comes to my mind is just, just going back, and, and I'm sorry I'm a coach, so all my stories kind of go back to athletics. But, um, you know, I played baseball my whole life, and one thing that I really uh, had to deal with from an adversity standpoint was, through Little League and uh, in high school and all the way up to your, you know, maybe junior year of college being an everyday starter, okay, and being what you felt like is the guy. And then all of a sudden, your senior year comes around and you're not the guy anymore, all right? And you're, I hate to say it, but you're getting surpassed by some other people that are better than you. And the easy way out is obviously to quit all right, and run from it. And, um, you know, I, not, only, not, not only my father, I feel like, is a great leader in my life, but my brother, my older brother, was a great leader in my, in my life and also played a lot of baseball. And I called him and asked him. I said, you know, I, I feel like it's just time for me to hang it up. And he said, that'd be so stupid. They're, for one, they're paying for your education. But two, learn from it. You have one more year, all right, to, to learn from this game that you've been playing your whole life. And to be honest with you, I think maybe if I would have walked away from you know, right then, I don't think I would have been a coach. And, uh, and that life lesson right there, I think, helps me with being a head softball coach and, uh, and helping with, you know, even if I'm an assistant coach at, in, in other sports. But it helps guide players who are going through the things, same things right now that I went through that last year ball and, and even some parents that, hey, it's not the end of the world, all right? We all want to be competitive at whatever sport we are, and we want to be the best, but it's not the end of the world if you're not, if you're not, if you're not the best. You just got to keep working and keep pushing because it's more, the game ends for everybody at some point. It ends for everybody, but it's what do you take from it when it's over? That's, I think, the most important thing for me. Absolutely. And so a lot of that leads us to this idea of personal responsibility, us sort of, looking to ourselves and what is, where do we find our own self-confidence? Um, so for the panel, thinking about that, can you share your insights on personal responsibility and initiative and confidence? How do those play a crucial role helping our male students grow into individuals who not only respect and serve others, but have the confidence to stand for what they believe in and make a positive impact in the school and community? How can we talk about self-confidence and initiative to help our students feel confident in standing for what they believe in and deciding what it is that they believe? Uh, I think if you're, if you're going to have um, 
anyone, but we're talking about males, right? So uh, uh, a boy, a young man growing into a man and being a confident leader who takes initiative, who, who, who can do all of these, um, you know, solid, positive things that we're talking about. Like that's, I think it's important to understand that this isn't something that just happens overnight. Obviously, we, uh, uh, Jeff and Henry, both kind of alluded to the idea of failure um, in learning and building from failures. And obviously, Coach McConnell was just talking about that. But uh, I think in order to be that type of person and that type of man and that type of leader, it's not something you can just try to do in a moment, right? Like if you're in a situation um, where, uh, hey, you've, like I, I was referencing earlier, earlier, like you've got to come through in a big moment or you've got to be, um, you know, uh, have, have some moral fiber and tough, good, solid character to deal with something. Like that's not something you can just decide to do or try to do in the moment. Um, you have to, you have to like practice it and the little things like you have to, you have to, to train. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm the cross country coach. I'm a runner. I've, I've, I've used this example with guys before, like anyone in here could try to run a marathon tomorrow. Uh, and some people, depending on your natural athletic ability or uh, where you're at could do better than others, but like just gutting it out and trying, um, ultimately, uh, for most people is going to end in some level of failure in that you can try and some people can do it, but like, you need to, you need to train in that you need to work in little thing. And so for, as far as developing character and personal responsibility and initiative, it's, it's doing that in little things day in and day out and finding ways, Hey, how can, how can I practice this? Um, and then over time you start to realize through screwing up over and over again, right. And, and, and having hopefully, uh, men and mentors in your life, um, guiding you and correcting you. But over time, you start to become the man that you were created to be. You start to become the man that you want to be. But it's not something that happens overnight. It's, it's got to, it, it, it takes practice. And that's hopefully um, a lot of these things and a lot of the things that uh, Jacob organized at Brookstone and assemblies and stuff that we do at advising, we, 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 we want to teach ways in which you can practice this, but nobody's going to show up tomorrow and just decide, hey, I'm going to be a great man, and I'm going to be a great person, I'm going to do great things, and show up when it counts. Like, that's something that has to happen over time. Absolutely. Let's, let's think through that a little bit deeper. Um, sometimes it's not always easy uh, to do that, especially with our with our peers, right? It's easy to be uh, affected by our friends. Sometimes we have good friends. Sometimes we have not so great friends. How can our male students develop the courage to stand up against negative behaviors and attitudes in their peer groups and promote a culture of respect and honor through accountability? How can our boys resist negative peer pressure? You guys mind if I take that one first and come up next? Um, th this one is uh, pretty near and dear to me, and um, I think the, the first thing I wanted to talk about was um, you get a choice of who you are and what you stand for, and you're, you're developing that right now, and the values that are being inculcated into you that you're ingesting as, a, you know, being a Brookstone student are a part of that, um, but I'll just, I'll just give you two ideas. Um, you can be an arrow 
sharp, strong, heading towards your target, or you can be a blade of grass and you're just blowing with the wind, right? And wherever the wind takes you, that's where, that's where you're headed. Um, and, I, and I think um, it's important that, of course, you're the, uh, the first one I mentioned, but what does it take to get there and what does that mean? I think, you know, one, you're a protector. So when you find yourself in a situation where you need to protect someone who is vulnerable, someone who is, um, you know, in a, in a uh, position where they need your help, that you're ready to do that, and that you're ready to hold yourself and your teammates and those that uh, you live and work around accountable and accountable to your values and to the values of the organization. Um, and I'll tell you a story. That I, this story just resonates with me. We, we had uh, Coach K, for those of you who know Coach K, legendary Duke basketball coach. He came down to Fort Moore recently, or he, we VTC'd him in for a conference, and he was telling a story about accountability when he was the Olympic U.S. Olympic uh, men's coach, and he was he was talking about how um, uh, Kobe Bryant, the best player in the world at the time, uh, was um, not was not taking great shots, and they were going to lose if if he didn't take better shots. And that they had talked about the team rules, and um, Coach K talked about the challenge he had holding Kobe accountable to the, uh, the values of that team. And he said he stayed up all night one night because um, he had to pull Kobe in the next day um, to talk to him about that. And I, I was trying to imagine myself being in that situation. Like I struggle to hold uh, peers accountable for very small things. And, and he's talking about holding Kobe Bryant, the world's best player, you know, accountable for, for team rules. Um, and, but, but that's what you got to do. And, I, and how do you get there? And I think it, it's all about courage is the... Uh, um, the thing there, and there's there's two types of courage I wanted to talk about. I mean, there's there's physical courage, and then there's moral courage. And you may think on the face of it, well, physical courage is the harder of those two. And I'll tell you, I, I don't think that it is. Um, we we work a lot. Of, I'll just give you an example. Um, so you know, the the U.S. Army's Airborne School is at Fort Moore, and uh, it, it takes a lot of courage to jump out of an airplane um, with a parachute on, and you know, the way you get there though is through practice. And so for that, that's a three week course. And for the last week you jump out of an airplane, but for the first two weeks you practice and you're just going through the motions so that when it comes time to perform, you're just, you're just ready. Um, cause you've practiced it. The harder though is moral courage because that, that takes standing up to your peers, uh, to your friends, uh, making hard decisions. And, uh, um, so that, also, you can develop that through practice. And one thing that I'll just pass on to you, um, and you know, going back to what I said Coach K did, is you can anticipate the situations you're gonna be in where you need to um, uh, maybe make a hard call, hold a friend accountable, hold a teammate accountable, um, find, your, you know, find your way out of a situation you don't need to be in, but you can think through that and have what you wanna say ready so that when the time comes, you know that you're going to be ready to act when it when it comes time for you to show moral courage. You'll be uh, be prepared to do that. I think for the for the students, um, this is probably one of the toughest things that that you guys have to deal with. And and it was tough when we grew up. It, it's even tougher now. And I think social media adds a a huge element of that because you know, like mentioned up here, we you know we talk about courage is needed to do the right thing. The reality is you can do the right thing and still end up on a barstool uh, social media account, okay? 
Um, and the reason I say that's important because what happens in your worlds, and, and I, I have this conversation with my son often, you know, he's got a younger sister, it's in fourth grade, and I expect him to show both the physical and, and moral courage to protect her at all costs. Um, that being said, I think we are all, as men in this room, you are worried about the outcome. You're worried about what, what are your friends going to say when you stand up for or stand up against something that the group's doing that you know is wrong. Um, and, and I think that's where accountability with, with and I want to challenge the young men in this, in this room especially, holding each other accountable and to a higher standard is so crucial in, in making these, these smart decisions moving forward. Um, and I know it's difficult. This is probably one of the toughest things because you guys live in a world where public shaming is a thing, right? You, you don't want to be the next um, trending person on you know, whatever social media platform is being used because then labels do stick. Um, you know, I'd argue with Jonesy that, that you know, I'd probably fail more than you have, Jonesy. Um, the difference with us is that we didn't have social media to record our failures. Um, and we didn't, you know, so yes, we probably took as much pleasure in someone else failing at, at 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, especially a competitor, but it ended right there. It didn't, it didn't follow us. Um, you know, it, it follows you guys. So I understand the apprehension in, in wanting to stand up and do the right thing, but that really is where this courage piece um, needs to be stepped up. You know, I, I do expect you guys... Uh, you know, on, on the playgrounds, on the re I call it playground, I know you guys don't, although I did watch the 10th graders today on the playground tackling each other, which is fantastic, which we can get into a whole different conversation about, you know, the, the need for outlets of boys and girls. I loved seeing that. Just don't hurt each other, please. Um, but that, that, that is so needed. I, I want you guys to, to hold each other accountable, make the right choices. Don't be afraid to stand up if you see someone doing something that's questionable to anyone else, to a, a young male or a young student. It drives me insane when I watch these videos of people on the subways um, getting beaten up and all everyone else is doing is just filming, right? Um, there's no one intervening and it's become a public contagion now where, where that is the world we live in, where we film the episode or the incident and we don't step in and stop it and, and do what's right. Um, and there are repercussions sometimes to doing the right thing, whether it's physical or emotional, because it's gonna follow you. Uh, but I really want to encourage you guys to, to step up. Taking my Brookstone hat off for a second, which is tough. I've got my boss sitting next to me too. Um, and Mr. Leisure deals with discipline. When it, when it comes to you guys doing the right thing, if you are protecting someone else, I'm not going to say there's not going to be consequences. We, life has consequences. But you are doing the right thing. As long as your motives are right, your motives are pure, I expect you to protect each other, but I also expect you guys to hold each other accountable. I love seeing, I'll call out a few people, Ben Jackson, um, you, you work incredibly hard in the afternoons cleaning you know, the leaves off the sidewalks and, and, and serving um, when no one else is seeing. That takes courage because no one else is doing it. Um, Brooks Roney, a, a faculty member, came to me the other day and said, listen, um, this, this guy was walking across the, the parking lot you know, after practice and there was a young lady who was not his girlfriend um, you know, carrying some things to her car and Brooks dropped what he did and, and went and helped her. Um, that takes courage because you, you do run the risk and I may be embarrassing you guys too now and I'm sorry about that, but um, that, that takes courage because you do run the risk of what are people going to say about me? Are they going to call me soft? Are they going to call me whatever? That is courageous. Um, when we talk about a team and holding each other accountable, Bo Blackman on the stage has to hold his team on the one-act stage and Swift Branch, you guys are doing a fantastic job. I know there's a couple of others that I probably haven't seen tonight that are, that are going to get ready to go compete for the state championship at the one-act. It takes courage to hold each other accountable and to do what's needed for the team to function. Um, so I, I really want to 
impress on you, young men, that that is what we expect. Um, we expect you to hold each other accountable. We hold each other accountable up on the stage. Um, and the time to learn those skills is now, because as you get older, the consequences of everything that you do, both positive and negative, get bigger as well. Just, just want to add a, a couple of things, and this is for the adults in the room, the parents in the room, and I hope also parents are paying attention uh, when I talked about um, asking for help, because a lot of uh, that permission to ask for help comes from the the uh, atmosphere in the, in, at, at home. Um, but I would say also, uh, if you're going to be accountable, um, you have to have something to be accountable to. And, and we here at school have rules that they're, that we hold people accountable to. And, and I hope that those, that the same standards, um, that, these, that these boys have the same standards that are being held accountable to um, outside of this place. That's important. If there's an inconsistent message um, that we're sending uh, these young men uh, from what we, what we emphasize here in school to what they have outside of here, that can be really confusing. And I can really murky the waters about what is, what is worth standing up for, what is worth pushing back on. So I just wanted to share that last thought. Uh, to, to address the, the negative peer pressure um, and, and, and how to handle it, I love, um, you know, I kind of mentioned this and uh, Colonel Wiley talked about this idea of practice and practicing, um, you can practice moral courage. Uh, I think sometimes, um, especially some of the, the younger guys, I think of middle school and then, but, but obviously high school too, like you think of these situations where maybe you know something going on is wrong and give an example, right? Um, uh, and, and I'm sure this example doesn't surprise anyone. Um, unfortunately, um, a lot of the young men have probably all been in this, like a, a group of guys and maybe guys are saying stuff uh, and, and oftentimes they're maybe saying stuff about girls and, and you know like the, the way they're talking, it doesn't feel right and, 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 and you're like, I don't know, like I kind of join in. Now, like it, it might be unrealistic depending on your personality, depending on your relationship with the other guys in the room, it might be unrealistic for you to stand up and be like, hey guys, what's going on here? We're not talking about this. This isn't okay. This isn't respectful of, of this. We're not gonna, like, that, that could be, I, you know, I, I would hope not, but it could be and it might be and it probably uh, is unrealistic of a lot of us to just be able to do that out of nowhere, right? To just be able to have that moral courage to, to enter into that moment and do that. But, um, but we've unfortunately probably all been in those scenarios. And as Colonel Wiley said, we can, we can imagine, we can think through, hey, if I'm, if I'm in that situation again, how can, I, how can I up my game a little bit? How can I, and, and maybe it's just removing yourself from the situation. Hey, if you're someone who's around those conversations but doesn't participate in them, maybe you're not calling anyone out, but if you're not participating in them, I guarantee you, your peers recognize that. And that starts to be like, oh, you know, they will, it'll be self-convicting for them when they see you not participating in it. Um, and then over time, that's the sort of thing that it does become easier to be like, hey, that's not cool. Hey, we're not doing that. Or, you know, something like, and that, and that may seem small, but those are the sort of little things, and, and sometimes not so little, but daily things that as you start to practice that, that moral courage and that little bit by bit, then in big moments when, when it becomes 
a bigger deal as you get older, um, you will have the ability to, to stand up um, in those difficult times. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. We've had a nice, gener a nice uh, gentle curve for our panelists up to this point um, to you know, let them flex their panelist muscles. But, but now let's talk about dating relationships. And by no intention but good fortune, uh, every member of our panel uh, is a father to daughters. And so this is a great question to feel to our panelists. As fathers, and some of you having daughters, or all of you having daughters, what advice or guidance would you offer to our male students about fostering healthy and respectful romantic relationships? What are some examples and insights on how our students can actively promote trust and respectful communication? I'll start off. Um, in my culture, there is a high percentage of young males growing up without two parents in the household. Now, I say that to say that some of these young males are not seeing healthy relationships at home. Now, I have a three-year-old daughter, and now, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to understand why in the movies and the TV shows, why the father is standing there at the front door when the daughter is getting ready to go on a date. <laughs> when my daughter goes out on a date, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna have a list of questions and one of those questions will be, is your mother and your father at home? Because I want this young man to be able to solve disputes without violence. I want him to show her the same amount of love that I'm showing my daughter. So even though if that young man does not have a father in the house, it's on me to pour into that young man. You know, I want to show him how me and my wife interact or how some of my friends interact in their marriages. Because I think it's important for these young men to see images of how men should treat women. So to that, even now, if you have a situation where you're not seeing a, a, a healthy relationship at home, call on me. You know, I can bring you to my house, you know, and, and show you what we do at home. But I, I, I feel it's very important for, you know, a, a, a young man who's dating my daughter to have two parents in the household. I'll, I'll add on that quickly while the mic's being passed around. Um, some practical things for the guys. Just, just uh, tough for me to see, but out of the, the teenagers out there, who of you have sisters? How many of you have sisters? A whole bunch of you. Okay. So um, obviously... You know, I'd like to think that you are going to treat the young ladies with the same amount of respect that you would want your sister to be treated. Um, you know, a couple of practical things is for those of you that can drive, talking to Coach Farmer's point here, because he's going to be waiting at the door, um, you walk yourself up to the door and you don't wait in the car for the young lady to come to your vehicle. Uh, you walk up to the car, you shake hands with, with dad, say hi to mom, greet yourself, greet them, walk into the house. Uh, look them in the eyes and, and then make sure that you bring her back on time, before time. Um, you know, some of the things, and I, and I say this only because, yes, maybe I enjoyed it a little bit, but my oldest daughter's in college now. She's uh, 20, 20, right? Um, graduated, graduated here in 2022. And the, we, we had a thing, and, and, and initially she didn't understand why. Um, the boys that dated her, and I'm talking about when it became a little more serious as she got older, not middle school, um, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend things. 
they, they, they did have to ask my permission, and I'm not going to mention names because some of them went to Brookstone. Um, they did have to ask my permission to date my daughter. And we joked about it initially because it was, it was one of those things like, Dad, why are you doing this? It's so embarrassing. Well, fast forward a few years now, and, and the same applies to her current boyfriend, who's a college guy who's three inches taller than me, a lot bigger than me. So, but yes, I, I made sure that, that he had to ask um, to, to date Eva. And the reason wasn't, yes, I enjoyed it, by the way. I did, I did have a little bit of fun with this, and we had fun you know, back and forth you know, with the young men as well. But, but the main reason for that wasn't for that. It wasn't for me to, to, to put them in a difficult situation or to embarrass anyone. It was for her to understand what the expectation was. And fast forward a few years now, and now we can have conversations where she really says, Dad, I really appreciate that because you made me understand what my expectations were. I didn't have to settle for less um, because there were times when, when maybe she did. You know? and, and I think it's important for, for you guys as, as young men to understand this. The, the respect that you are going to show your significant other starts now. Um, I mentioned, you know, failures as Jonesy and I spoke, and, you know, my wife and I have now been married going on 20 years. And you better believe there were a lot of failures, even post-marriage with regards to, it's still not something that you get perfect, right? You don't get it right. It's going to be a work in progress, and, and you've got to start practicing now, though. And those are some tangible things. Make sure you open doors for them. Um, make sure you don't talk about you know, other girls or your girlfriend or whatever in, in, in front of other people. Um, respect them, respect yourselves, respect each other, respect your sisters, respect your moms. Always put them in that situation that you may be talking about. Um, so that, those are just some tangible ways of how you can, how you can, how you can respect that and, and, and have some positive and healthy relationships. Well, my daughter's uh, eight, so thankfully I don't have to worry about her dating anytime soon. But... Uh, when that day comes, I would like to think that I'm going to do my research as a dad, and I'm going to look at your history. And, uh, and today, with the way uh, social media is, it's pretty easy to find. And you have access to their code of conduct records at I Brookstone. Do. I do. Being the dean of students. <laughs> That's right. But, um, but no, I mean, I think... Uh, that's just natural. I think every father uh, would probably go back and kind of ask around and kind of see what this this guy's history is and uh, see how he's uh, how he he he's represented um, or maybe how he's talked about in his community and uh, how he's perceived on in in any groups that he may be in. Uh, I also think that you know there's there's certain boundaries that uh, guys just need to respect uh, for my daughter for me, for my wife, whenever that day comes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, God, I just, I hope that day never comes. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I mean, having, having a daughter, uh, for those of you out there that do have daughters, um, it's, it's different than having, having a son in a sense that there's just a little bit more um, protective nature. And, uh, and it's always going to be there, no matter what. So, I think that's a sensitive subject whenever it comes up, but uh, yeah, I think uh, just respect uh, respect her, respect her family, respect what we believe in, and uh, and the decisions that we that we make for her. How many parents do I have in the room? Raise your hand, guys. Look around. Every one of these parents, right here, whether you showed up at birth or you showed up last week. You changed their life. 
you changed their life innumerably. And, and they think of you as these wonderful, beautiful creatures that are so special to them. That's why they're here. They're here because they support you and they love you in that way. So think about that. When you're with, when you're with a female or even when you're with your friends, that's somebody's life-changing, special, beautiful creature. And one day, hopefully, you'll understand what that means. But how do you want that person to be treated, right? We're nobody's property. Women are not property. Men are not property. We treat each other with love and respect and with honor. You give honor. You receive it from others. You don't give yourself honor. And when you honor others, when you treat them the way your parents think about you, that's what we're asking for. That's what we're talking about in a healthy relationship. Whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship, that's what we're talking about is that that girl, that friend of yours, that romantic interest of yours is somebody's life-changing human in their life. And so I just want you to think about that. Think about that when you're with somebody that we don't have a right to someone else's time and we don't have a right to someone else's will. We can't force our decisions upon another person. We choose to be with who we want to be with. We choose who to have relationships with. And it's our job and our responsibility as healthy men to honor and take care of that trust, to respect those relationships. Because someone is trusting you with something important about who they are. And what are you going to choose to do with it? And I'm, I'm encouraging you, young men, to treat those people like that. To treat the people in your life like they are precious to someone because they are. Don't throw them away. Don't play with their emotions. Be kind and respectful. And so that's, that's my one little sermon about that. Um, our next question. Thinking more along the lines of that, kind of looking at the world that you guys live in that is very different from how we grew up. How can our students navigate the complexities of modern dating and relationships while maintaining the values of respect, honor, and integrity, especially in the age of digital communication and social media? How, how can our kids have positive relationships and be positive masculine men in this world of social media and digital communication? What does that look like? Uh, so I'd, I have a daughter of dating age who goes to this school and... Uh, Guys, just yeah, don't even don't even bother. I'm, I I don't approve. Um, <laughs> uh, actually, I'll say this: I have a daughter who is in the senior class, and I spend. I have a group of guys who are all sitting in the middle of this room right now who come to my house every Monday night and hang out. And my daughter would say that you guys all treat her with a ton of respect and kindness, and I really appreciate that. Um, you know, when you start to think about dating, though, like dating someone, thinking of someone else is harder, not easier. You have to suddenly begin to lay, lay down your own rights for the sake of someone else uh, in a healthy dating relationship. Respect is paramount. A lot of what Jacob just said. Um, truth be told, a lot of us especially in these in this age we're learning what dating is and so we date we have romantic relationships often for selfish reasons honestly if you could really dig down um you know to so that i feel good about myself i have a pretty girlfriend that makes me feel better about me 
makes me feel cool or worthy in some way. Um, but that can be a recipe or the, or the seeds of uh, treating someone else like uh, something less than a complete and whole human that is deserving of our respect and admiration and appreciation. We begin to dehumanize the other in our relationship because they are just, uh, they are just serving a need in our life, whether that's emotional or, or physical. And a lot of in a lot of our cases, it is it, it. There's a there's a selfish desire for it to serve a physical need, um, as well. Uh, I would say that uh, that's that's not who you want to be. You you don't want to be someone who is dehumanizing or making someone else a uh, uh, a thing rather than a person, and. Dating, even though it's only really been around for a couple hundred years in the history of human existence, dating is a pretty new concept, uh, is now practice for what you're, what you're going to be like as a, as a man in a relationship in your future years of life. And so if you learn, if you practice bad behaviors now, it'll be hard to break those as you enter into a marriage that's a lifelong commitment where you really do, you, it'll, if you are selfish even a little bit coming into a marriage, it's the first thing you realize about yourself uh, in a marriage because you have to lay down your rights daily in that. Um, so I think uh, learning how to practice that, and, and again, from, from a, a, a biblical perspective, the idea of valuing others uh, above yourself, Treat, you know, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have done to you. Treating people the way that you would want to be treated, I think is paramount. Um, I think in y'all's age too, it's gotten really tricky because of the digital element that's at play. Um, guys, let me just say right now, like, don't ask a girl out over text. Don't break up over text. Don't fight over text. This is a rule for every person in this room. Don't, don't have conflict over text. That is an unhealthy space for conflict. Get face-to-face somebody so you can see facial expressions, that you can, you can read their body language, you can experience that. But um, so much of, of y'all's dating relationships, it, it you know, is spent over uh, electronic, and I think you miss some of that personal interaction um, in that. And I think, again, it, it, it takes away some of the humanity of the person on the other end if they're just uh, words on the other end of a screen. So, <clears throat> um, I have two daughters. And, uh, and, and I guess with, with all due respect to what's been said up here, um, I don't, I'm not going to be interested in whether or not uh, somebody opens a door for them or uh, pulls out a chair for them. I'm going to be interested to, to know how that person makes them feel. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and I think what, in my experience, uh, what's an, what, are, what are attractive qualities uh, in, a, in, a, in a partner um, are two things that are really difficult to attain in life. Uh, and the first of those is wisdom. 
Um, wisdom tends to come with age and experience. Um, but wisdom can also come uh, by developing another important skill, uh, and that's uh, asking good questions. Um, just as, as uh, head of school here, I uh, have a leadership team, and uh, the most valuable members of that team are the ones who ask the best questions. Um, and that's a vulnerability, uh, and that's, a, that's, that's also um, a, a, how people gain wisdom and how people understand things better. And, uh, and that's a, a quality that uh, I sort of deem as a, as a really important one, and that's what I, I want my daughters to be able to say to me, um, you know, I, I, I like this guy because he, he makes me feel, um, he makes me feel better than I ever have. And he also, uh, uh, he's, he's makes me, I'm my best self around him. And, uh, and I think wisdom is one of those things that even at a young age, you can, you can get better at it. We've heard, you've heard the term up here, practice a lot. Um, <clears throat> without sounding, sounding like Alan Iverson, practice is really important. And, uh, and, and that's something that, you can practice. You can practice asking questions. You can practice uh, uh, becoming uh, the person that that lifts people up around you. I think this is probably a major breach of etiquette. But can I get, can I say one more thing about the same question? Uh, this is a thought I had um, that I really wanted to address, and it's sort of stepping into some awkward territory. So just squirm alert here. Uh, I do think a major factor in for you guys in your view of your romantic relationships is things that you have seen and ingested in the digital sphere. Uh, pornography, namely. Um, but even, even the sort of things that are not explicitly pornography but are on the fringes of that um, have deeply affected your view of... Uh, romance, relationship, what sex is and what it's supposed to be uh, that are vastly distorted by what you see in the digital world about those things. And what triggered that in my mind is the dehumanization of the person on the other end of that screen, that act, whatever the thing is that you're taking in has now uh, created definitely a dehumanizing effect. But what I've seen in my uh, nearly 30 years of working with teenagers is a real impact on the way that uh, you enter into dating relationships and the way you treat one another and the sort of expectations, particularly that the boys impose on their significant others based on what they have watched and taken in and now think is normal and the expectation. And you guys don't know this because you don't know what the kind of conversations are that girls have, but my wife has conversations with girls, and so I know that girls labor under these expectations. Like, am I supposed to want that in a relationship? Am I supposed to be that person? Am I supposed to act that way to, uh, to perform in these ways that will that will make my boyfriend or boys like me or make them happy. I don't think I like that or that's even interesting to me, but I think now I've got to live into that role. Um, and I would say for sure, I mean, even 
even statistics around marriages that have been uh, devastated by the things that we have ingested, the sort of expectations that we place on our, on our, our especially our romantic and sexual relationships with others. So I think I would follow that up with saying, stop watching porn if that is something that uh, is part of your life because it is impacting you in ways that you cannot foresee or appreciate. Jonesy, I'm going to ask you a question, and only because um, I'm, I'm probably going to generalize a little bit, but part of that, and this, this goes into my, I'll make a statement after this, especially for the parents of younger students that are in the room. Um, men generally are, are vis more visual, right? So, so what you guys see and what you guys look at, as Jonesy said, is so crucial to what goes in here um, and ultimately what you act on. For, for the parents, Please, and this goes earlier to what Mr. Hull said about um, you know setting the same standards, or holding the same levels of accountability at home, and following the same rules that we have at school, etc. It is okay to know what's on your child's phone and to make sure that they are looking at um, or have access to, or know, at least knowing what they have access to. And, and I'm speaking especially to the middle school parents or the parents of middle school kids. Um, there really is no business, honestly, for any sixth, seventh, eighth grade boy or girl. Um, to, to not have a parent involved in what, what they have on their phones, the things that they have access to, and not even intentionally, but just the fact that they have a social media account or a YouTube channel or have access to YouTube, by default, they are having access and being exposed to things that are incomprehensible. Um, and, and it's stuff that they, even as 18, 19-year-olds, don't know how to process. Imagine even a you know, 11, 12-year-old in, in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. So I do encourage parents, it is not an invasion of privacy. Um, you are paying the bills. It is not an invasion of privacy to, to know what's on your students' phones, to know what they have access to. Um, you know, again, just to put you know, a personal example, even through 10th grade, my daughter did not have a phone in her room past 10 o'clock. Nothing good happens past 10 o'clock in, in, in rooms with social media and on cell phones. Um, you know, and, and once she got older, then obviously there was a little more trust, et cetera. But they, and, and it was hilarious having kids come over in ninth and 10th grade and they were like, what, we're going to put our phones in the kitchen at you know, 10 o'clock? Yes, you do. Um, so it's, it's okay. It's okay to, to take that responsibility, that role of responsibility, and I encourage you to do so. But especially with the younger students, um, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade parents, please know what they have access to because they may not even be doing it intentionally. Um, but they have access to the stuff by default. Well, I want to say, well, I want to be respectful of everybody's time. We've got probably time enough for another one or two questions at max, but I do want to speak directly to our boys. One other thing, we, we've had so many people come to this school along with us to talk to you about the power of this device that you have and how what you do on this device is both public and permanent, that though you think that this is your private world that you, can, uh, that you can experience your friends and your world through, it is not. Everything that you do on this phone can be tracked, traced, and seen, and we've talked about that. I can't tell you how many times we've talked about that to you guys, and I know you've heard it, but hear me on this when we're talking about these dating relationships. We've kind of danced around a few things, and kind of since we've touched on the topic of pornography, a lot of times we get the misconceptions. What we do know scientifically about your brain right now is we know that that prefrontal cortex in your brain is essentially jello right now. It is not formed up yet. We know that it doesn't fully develop in boys until they are about 25 years old. 
Girls get a two-year jump on us. They're, they're good at 23, so that says a lot about why we keep making bad decisions. Um, but what I want to tell you, if you ever have any doubt, because when you get with that, that romantic interest of yours and you're like, oh, man, she's so great. She's so beautiful. I know what she wants. She wants me to send her a picture of myself. She does not want that. You do not want that. And let me tell you who doesn't want that. You may say, but Mr. Crowder, I do want that. And I tell you, 20-year-old you may think that's a good idea. 15-year-old you may think that's a good idea. I guarantee you 30-year-old you doesn't think it's a good idea. And I guarantee you 40-year-old you doesn't think it's a good idea. And 40-year-old you might have to deal with that because it's public and it's permanent. And you can't know what someone who might like you one day and might not like you the next day may do with your most personal and private moments. And I know that it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about, but you need to think about that. That's what part of being a good, positive, masculine role model is, is thinking first. Is, is this the best decision? Am I honoring myself? Am I having self-respect for who I am as a young man? And am I respecting the other person too? And if you can't answer yes to both of those things, it's probably a bad idea. But you need to remember, and, and I know your parents have told you this. I know we've told you this. And I know that part of that jello problem up front is what keeps you continuing to make those decisions, you know, about making poor decisions because it's just part of being a teenager. We, we gravitate towards risk when we're teens. It's part of how we're wired. But hear me. We'll, we'll, we'll finish up here, but this will still live, and this will still be out there, and it might affect a job. It might affect a relationship with someone you do want to spend a long time with. So think about the choices that you make. The digital age is a problem that we didn't have to deal with, but you do, and you have to be able to navigate your world, okay? And I cannot stress that enough that you think about what you say and what you do in this digital space, okay? Mr. Crowder, let me add one quick thing to that. Yeah. Uh, pornography, I'm, gl I'm really glad you raised that. Thank you. Um, the, the research is very clear on the damaging effects beyond just the dehumanization of, of other humans. Um, <clears throat> one thing also that is... That is uh, uh, we're seeing a lot of these days is, is online gambling addictions, which which uh, hit the same um, receptors in the brain as pornography does. And parents and, and, and boys out there understand that online gambling uh, has, a, has has seen similar results in terms of depression and anxiety, uh, not to mention uh, the potential physical uh, ramifications of of, uh, of of doing that uh, of, of online gambling. So I just I wanted to share that as well. That's something of a new problem that's that's risen up, and, and, and boy, it is in our face culturally right now, and hard to ignore. Okay. We've got time for I think one and a half more questions, and then I promise you we'll get you guys out of here. We really appreciate your patience with us and joining us tonight. Um, I want to talk just quickly about service. I think it's so important to talk about service. I think that that is one of the hallmarks of Brookstone School. I like to believe that that's why many of us are here is because of Brookstone's dedication to serving others. What is the role of a servant leader and what role does initiative play in that? And how does giving yourself to your family, friends, community, and beyond epitomize positive masculinity? What is it about serving that is manly? Um, just hearing that question and service and thinking about service of family in particular, um, I can't help but think of my dad who I, you know, my dad is not perfect. He fails just like all of us fail. I disagree with my dad on a lot of things, but um, 
the way that he served and led our family growing up is something that um, will always have a large impact on me. When I was y'all's age, when I was 13 um, years old, and I, I had an older brother who's 15, I had a younger brother who was 11 who was diagnosed um, with cancer and ended up battling cancer, uh, kind of, in, and died within the year. But seeing, um, we've talked a lot of about different aspects of healthy and positive masculinity, and I saw that all on display over the year um, with my dad kind of serving and leading our family through that, um, from being vulnerable with us, but from, from showing up when it counts, um, from not kind of being like the, the stoic of, hey, I've got to have all the answers and got to do everything right, but like, uh, you know, recognizing failure. And I just think of the way he served us in particular, I mean, staying up all night in the, in, in the hospital with my younger brother, but then also, uh, hey, doing what it takes to, to reach out to me and my older brother who, who, who weren't sick at the time and take us to basketball games or take us to, to football games or, or, or serve us and love on us in that way. It, it really formulated such a positive um, positive role model, positive example in my life for like sacrificing for your family um, and serving your family. Um, and so, so when I think of that, I think of that's, you know, serving and sacrificing for your family is about as manly of a thing as you can do. I'll just really quickly hit on this because I know we got, uh, we're running out of time here, but I, I really don't think you can distinguish uh, servant and leadership. I mean, servant leadership uh, is one and the same. Uh, true leadership doesn't come without being a servant, um, being selfless. You know, leaders in my organization and in, in the uh, um, in the army. I mean, we we part of our culture is that um, leaders eat last. They lead from the front. So if it's hard, if it's challenging, if it's dangerous, that's where leaders are. Um, you know, leaders are, are the ones that uh, um, they will never ask somebody to do something they can't do, won't do, haven't done. And so this idea, those, those two words are linked together in my mind. Um, I think one thing that some people, there, there's maybe confusion on or a point that I want to make is that leadership is a choice. It's not a position. And so, um, you know, I confront this a lot that, uh, well, I'm not really in charge right now, so I'm not in a leadership position. Um, what I'll tell you is you make a choice no matter what duties you've been assigned, no matter what role you're is on a, you have on a team um, to lead. And so that, that can look like um, leadership that you have been given as a captain of your team. Um, it can look like peer leadership. It can also look like leadership by example, just doing the right thing. And uh, Mr. Sullivan pointed out a student that just out doing the right thing, leading by example. And I, I think all of that is, uh, is, is really important and representative of servant leadership. And the last point I'll make is it's equally important to be a good follower. And especially when um, you know that people have been given responsibility to lead, that you're somebody who is supporting them in that endeavor and... Uh, um, you know, being the person that when someone who's in charge is asking you to do something, that uh, you just get it done. And, you know, that's, that's a lot about um, 
if you see something needs to get done, you do it, and you, you don't wait till whoever uh, is in charge tells you to. And, that, and that's just about that's about being a good follower, but also a, another example of leading by example. Awesome, awesome. Uh, as we close tonight, I've asked our panelists if if we could go down the line just one time. If you gentlemen, if you have uh, a one or two sentence nugget or affirmation for our male students here as, as we leave tonight uh, to encourage them in, in striving for positive masculinity and what that looks like at our school. Uh, love for, for you to leave them with one final parting thought uh, and, we, and we can kind of just sort of go down the line or popcorn it however you want, but I'd like, like for everybody to kind of just give their last parting statement, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, a piece of advice I would give you young men is to seek counsel, all right? Don't ever think that you're too young or too old or too smart or not smart enough to ask for help. Always ask for advice, all right? And there is no answer key to manhood. You have plenty strong men up here who will sit down with you and, and help you grow. So my advice is to always ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Thanks, and I just want to say again what a privilege it was to get to be part of the discussion, and I really appreciate the comments from the panel because I learned a lot uh, tonight as well. Um, I, and I say this, what I'm about to say with, you know, the idea that uh, humility is really important, but, um, you know, one of the reasons it's a privilege to be here is because I look out in the audience at the young men sitting in here, and I know what you're going to accomplish um, in the future, and I know where you're going. And the reason I know that is because, you know, I talked about the arrow, and um, each one of you is an arrow in a quiver right now that is about to get put to use. And so what I have seen from Brookstone over the years that we've been here, and we've, we've been here for about three and a half years, is the amount of investment into you. And um, you are being prepared for great things. And, you know, so with that comes responsibility. And, you know, so I would just implore you, you, you are being prepared for something special. Um, <coughs> uniquely prepared in its discussions like this, but it's all the other things. And so um, I encourage you to think about uh, right now, what, what, what's my purpose and what am I going to go out and do in my community? Um, you know, uh, whatever, whatever profession you choose. Um, and I'm, finally, I'm going to convince a couple of you to uh, go to one of our nation service academies you know, and uh, I'm already working on a few of you, but because I think that's really important too, that you serve your nation if that's your calling, but thanks. So uh, what I would leave you with is this, um, find ways to cross paths with great men. Um, and I don't mean, uh, I don't mean just uh, somebody who's famous. Um, just hearing Mr. Lage talk about his father, uh, I, I really want to meet this guy and I really want to get to know him and ask you, I have a lot of questions for him. Um, and, uh, and, and that's, that's what I'm, that's what I take away from here. And I hope you will all try to find ways to do that in your lifetime. I'll try and say without getting this tickle in my throat again. Um, I want to echo exactly what Mr. Hall said. What my, my challenge to the young men is to find positive mentors. It's going to be crucial now. It's going to be crucial, you know, as you grow up and, and get into business or whatever you want to do. People that you want to be, I've had the both, I'll say the privilege of having on both sides of the spectrum, people that didn't hold me accountable and I saw what that led to. Um, and I'm not by any means putting any blame on anyone other, other than myself. But then also from on the flip side, I wouldn't be where I am in a position that I am 
in a position of leadership, in, in a position to be able to talk to some students, um, if it weren't for positive mentors along the way as well. And, and, and that's crucial. Um, any, any positive thing, both positive and negative, but especially the positive things that has happened along the way for me has been due to being able to pour into or, or being poured into by people that have positive influences over me, uh, people that have walked to where I want to get to uh, from a career standpoint, from a spouse standpoint, from a father standpoint. Um, it's been people that I've been able to look up to and, and take examples from them. So find positive influences in your lives. Um, it's going to make your, your future a lot easier um, and that, that's going to be crucial whether you whether you're 13 years old or whether you're 19 years old or whether you are older. Uh, so there's a, a theme building here because I feel like all of uh, these guys had said similar stuff, but I would just add, yes, find a mentor. Yes, try to find your, surround yourself and come across great men, but also just in, in your friendships, like surround yourself with people who you want to be like, because you are going to be like the people who you surround yourself with. Um, I, uh, Jonesy has been one of my best friends for the past 15 years. And that's one of the greatest things about my life is getting to have a friend like him to do life with, to be vulnerable with, um, to, to flesh out a lot of these things that we're talking about on stage with. Um, Jacob and Gary, over the past uh, few years, we've gotten to work a lot together and have built some really strong uh, incredible friendships. Um, surround yourself with people and friends um, that you want to be like because you will start to become like them. Um, the, the negative side will be true too. If you surround yourself with, with negative influences, you will start to be like them. So find yourself good, positive people that you want to be like uh, because you will be like them. It's funny, all of us, we knew we were going to answer this. We were going to make this statement. And we didn't collaborate. So if you're hearing a lot of the same stuff, it's probably because it's good advice and true. When I was, I don't know, six or eight years old, I wanted to drive the riding lawnmower that my grandfather had just gotten. And he wanted to help teach me how to drive the thing. But I didn't want to be taught how to drive it. I wanted to figure it out myself. And so I took off on it, and I put it all the way up to rabbit as fast as it would go, and I drove the thing straight into a, a cinder block pump house because I wasn't big enough to push the brake because I didn't, I didn't want to be taught by an older, wiser man the right way to do it. I just want to figure it out myself. And a lot of us, and I've spent <laughs> the ensuing 40 years doing the same thing. A lot of times. Um, seek out older men and listen to their wisdom. They're not, trying to, they're not trying to ruin your life. They're trying to help you live the best, fullest life. And then the other thing is, if you want to really find life, it's in giving it away. Die to yourself. Give your life away to others. That's when you'll really find full life. Man, have a good last after all these guys, uh, especially sitting next to Jonesy over here. Uh, yeah, everything they said, and you know, probably the last thing I would say is just 
you know, don't be afraid to, uh, don't, be, don't be afraid of the process of becoming a man and, uh, you know, making sometimes bad decisions and uh, learning from them and growing and, uh, and bouncing back from them and having uh, confidence in yourself that you'll redeem yourself because some of you are going to walk out of this room and you're going to do something that probably that we've already talked about possibly not doing. Um, and I think we probably all done that. I think I've, I think I've had men in my life tell me things and I, you know, I let it go in one ear and out the other. And I've had to learn the hard way when I should have just listened the first time. Um, but yeah, I think all I, th- I think highly of all these guys up here. I've learned a lot tonight, and uh, yeah, I think I think the last thing is just look, make mistakes. But when you make the mistakes, make them in the right direction, make them going up. Um, let's take a moment just to thank our panelists for coming here tonight. I feel edified and affirmed and, and just thrilled to be here in this presence. And I hope, hope you boys feel the same way as well. Um, I just want to say to you that tonight was for you. That's what this is about. It's for you guys because everybody in this room believes in you and wants for your success. If you're a faculty member in here that wasn't on the panel, raise your hand. There are other members of the faculty here that came to support you. Some of them had to slip out a little early, but we believe in you. And so what we are asking is, is, is we wanted to affirm you tonight, and we wanted to thank you for being here, but I also wanted to place a demand on you, that there is an expectation, that we wanted you to be here tonight to hear that there is already a standard, that you're not a lone wolf, that you're not out there making it up as you go. Meet us where we are. Meet us as we aspire to the standard and join us in that act. Join us in what it means to be a good human and what it means to be a healthy male in this society. Meet that standard with us and join us in that work and help us inspire other boys to fall in with that as well. Let's be the change that we want to see. Let's epitomize what it means to be a Brookstone student and what it means to be a Brookstone male student. I just want to thank you guys for coming. We really appreciate everybody being here. Thank you, parents, for showing up. Have great conversations with your kids. Have a great night. Thank you for staying with us through all this time. I hope you all enjoyed that panel discussion. As a mother to boys slash men, I am so grateful for a school that wants to invest in this next generation of young men in such a powerful way. I am so grateful for all they do and all the ways they support and encourage our students, both girls and boys, and our parents as we navigate growing and molding these wonderful young people into the adults they will become. So if after listening, you want to learn more about your child becoming a part of the Brookstone family, reach out to Ann Parker, our Director of Enrollment, or visit the Admissions tab on our website. Open houses have started, and we would love to see you at the next one. Registration is required, so visit our website today. I'm Avery Wolf. Thank you so much for listening today. We are grateful for you and for your support of this podcast. And to all the Brookstone Cougars out there, always remember to be the one 